to, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and the guys will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 15, the first 21 verses of the chapter. My message this morning is tradition or truth, religion or relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word this morning, knowing, Lord, that you are present, you are here in our midst. And Lord, it is by your design that we are here this morning so that we might hear from you, learn from you, and apply these truths to our lives. Lord, help us to... uh, have open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. We do pray for our teachers downstairs as they teach our kids, Lord, that the same thing, our kids, our children have open ears to receive all that you have for them, that you give our teachers wisdom in answering their questions. Sometimes kids' questions, Lord, it can be more difficult than adult questions. And so, Lord, we pray for our, our teachers downstairs. You bless them. Thank you for the children's ministry we have here at this church. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing here at this church, the work of the ministry. Bless our time together, we pray. Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to know what it means to have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, to be born again, Lord, would you especially speak to their heart this morning? We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a story about the little girl that noticed that every time her mother cooked a roast, she would chop off a piece of the end of the roast before putting it into the oven. Well, intrigued, she asked her mother why she did this. Well, to be honest, I do it because that's the way my mother always does it, came the reply. I'm sure she must have had a good reason for it. Well, the next family gathering, the child decided to satisfy her curiosity. Grandma, why do you always chop off the end of the roast before cooking it? Well, to be honest, I do because that's the way my mother always does it, came the reply. I'm sure she must have had good reason for it. A week or so later, the little girl was visiting her 90-year-old great-grandmother. She explained that that mummy and grandma always chopped the end of the roast before cooking it, but couldn't remember why. Do you know why, she asked. Oh, my, said great-grandma. Imagine the two of them doing that. Why, I only cut the piece off because my pan was too small. (laughs) Tradition. Tradition. Remember Fiddler on the Roof? I've enjoyed that, that movie. Remember Tevye, you know, tradition, and he did a little dance, a tradition, and he dances around. I, I, I looked at it last night because I was thinking about our study this morning, and, and the opening scene uh, during the song, he, he starts talking about tradition. He says, we have traditions for everything, how to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. He says, for instance, we always keep our head covered and wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you, I don't know. (laughs) So this morning, this is like the New Testament equivalent of Fiddler on the Roof, only we'll call it Pharisee on the Roof. You see, we have seen the Gospel of Matthew is the presentation of Jesus Christ as King. Written from this perspective, chapters 1 through 10 reveal the King as person, his prophet, his, his precepts, his power. Chapters 11 through 13 portray the rebellion against the king, against his person, his prophet, his precepts, and his power. Chapter 14 all the way through chapter 20 
presents really the retreat of the king as he breaks away from the from the the, the, the Israel from the Jews and kind of goes off and, and pulls his disciples to one side and starts sharing with them what's about to happen in his life, going to the cross, rising again from the dead. He's letting them know what's to come. But that doesn't mean the enemies are still not coming after him. And right off the bat, we see in, in, in verse in chapter 15, there's an encounter with the Pharisees over this tradition. If you're taking notes, we're going to see two things this morning. Just two things. Number one, the Pharisees with a problem. Number two, the disciples with a dilemma. First, the Pharisees with a problem. Look at verse 1 and 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So we have some scribes and some Pharisees travel some 100 miles to come to Jesus with this problem. But really, we need to understand that these men didn't come to see if Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't come to see if he was the real deal. They came looking for something to find fault within him. They weren't looking for clarification. They were looking for a way to discredit Jesus and to pull him down. So they turned to traditions, their traditions. And so they say to Jesus, Why do your disciples ignore traditions? For they do not wash their hands before they eat bread. No doubt, trying to find something that they can nail Jesus on so they can they settle on this ceremonial washing. Now understand, this was not a matter of personal hygiene. If you've ever seen that Tim Hawkins video pretending to put hand sanitizer all over his body because a family of six came walking through the doors of the church. That's not what this is about. This is about religious tradition and ritual. Now this hand washing ritual, the, the, the command came to the priest to wash their hands before doing service for the Lord. Exodus 30, 19, Exodus 40, 12 lays it out for us. It was a very simple practice uh, symbolizing approaching God with a clean heart. But the Jews took this, you know, religious leaders took this simple command and turned it into a complicated burden. So complicated that it won't like this. Instead of just washing your hands like normal people do, the ceremony involved pouring some water, having someone pouring water out of a jar onto another's hands. Your fingers had to be pointed up like this and as long as the water dripped down off the wrist, the person could proceed to the next step, which would then, then you put your hands down like this, pour more water on, and you got what's your fist there, fist there, and, and that was how they would do the ceremonial hand washing. All sorts of rules, regulations, this is how it's gotta be done, and, and, and this is, this is gonna really make it so your ceremonial clean. Now they put all these little rules, you're not gonna find that in the Bible, but all these little rules in, in a book called the Mishnah. In fact, the Jewish Mishnah contains no less than 30 chapters just on the subject of, of the cleaning of vessels. But the Mishnah contains a lot more rules than that. Not just hand-washing rules, but rules on, on how you should honor the Sabbath. You know, Instead of it being a day of rest, it was a day you could do no work on, and then it would define what work is. One of those, for example, you couldn't wear your false teeth on the Sabbath because if they fell out, then to pick them up would mean work. And so you, you couldn't do that. You considered working. It's been said that the uh, rabbis debated about a man with a wooden leg. If his home caught on fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of the house on the Sabbath? Would that be work? i got to tell you another little tradition they had. Superstition, really. It's an amazing how these traditions and superstitions have a way of working into any religious system. But the Jews believe that there was a, a demon called Shibda that could actually attach itself to your hands while you were sleeping. And because it was on your hands, 
if you touch food, then you can accidentally ingest the demon by eating the food. And so, that's why you had to wash your hands elaborately to wash away the demon. Uh, just washing the demon away, you know. I guess it's a pretty good way of getting rid of demons, you know. People actually bought it. They actually believed it. And out of fear, people would go through these rituals and these regulations to get rid of the demon. I mean, do you see how foolish these, these man-made traditions and, and rituals had become? And the problem is, they were not from God, but from man. Ruled by men seeking to control other men. So here you have these scribes and these Pharisees coming to Jesus to trip him up, to intimidate him over these man-made traditions. Obviously, they did not know who they were dealing with. But you know, at this point, you would think that these guys would begin to realize that they were in bad shape because every time they go to ask Jesus a question, he would turn it around and ask them a question. You know, sooner or later you think they'd go, okay, you know, this isn't working out so well. We should do a different approach. But they don't, and they come to ask Jesus, and, and why, why? They say, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? Look at Jesus' response in verse 4. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Wow, slam. Have you ever asked a question where the, their answer is to simply ask you a question in return? You know, I, I know it happened an awful lot with my kids. Dad, can I go over to a friend's house and, and hang out? You know, they're growing up. And I said, well, is your room clean? <laughs> have you done your chores? You know, have you taken out the trash? You know, I think it happened in our marriages, you know. Honey, what's wrong? And she says, what's wrong with you? I have works both ways. But see, that's what's happening in this passage. And Jesus comes back to them with a very good question. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Basically, Jesus is saying, you have a much bigger problem whether or not your hands are clean. Because your heart's not. Your hearts aren't clean because you fill them with a tradition rather than a relationship with me. Be careful of traditions. Be careful of, of well, we, we've always done it that way mentality that you see in many churches today. I think we can even fall in it to ourselves. Even at Calvary Chapel, oh no. Yeah, we do one song and then we stand and we sit down and then we do announcements and then, then you know, we do the three more songs and then we do the study and then we do a closing song. But, but man, if you do two songs first before announcements, that's going to throw us off. Oh no, your announcements after three songs, oh, we, we can't change like that. You know, and you can get into that. Be careful that we don't get wound up in tradition. Now let me say this. Not all traditions are a bad thing. They can remind us of some important truths. In fact, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. But understand, those traditions are rooted in Scripture. See, Jesus rightly taught that the law was given to Moses and I'm not signing it, but they also said that later on the Lord would give further revelation to Moses that were not written in Scripture. And Oral revelation. Further revelation was passed on orally from generation to generations. And the Jews became so caught up in that that they actually went so far as to say that the word of the elders was more important than the word of God. These scribes, these Pharisees, they didn't want to know the, the truth. They wanted to know why Jesus wasn't following their man-made traditions. And, and Jesus just turns it around in them and asks them why they were sinning against God by following their man-made traditions. They made such a big deal over what we look like on the outside as opposed to God who doesn't look on the outside, but He looks at the inside of our hearts. I like the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 24, verse 3 through 6. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? 
or who may stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. A pure heart, not lift up his soul to an idol, nor sworn to three out of four. Have to deal with the heart. See, it's an inside job. It's only when Christ washes us of all our sin that we can say that we are truly clean. Well, then Jesus takes it a step further when it comes to their traditions and says to them, look at verse 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. I'm thinking right about now, they're wondering why they even tried to, to mess, you know, mess with Jesus in the first place. I mean, he's nailing them. He sees their hearts. He's telling it like it is. You know, and he's, you know, he's telling them, why do you guys do this tradition, a way of getting out of providing for your, your, your parents? Jesus is saying that, that honoring your father and mother includes supporting them. But the way they got around that responsibility was to dedicate their money as a gift to God, and that would relieve them from supporting their parents. The Pharisees had this tradition where they, they declared it to be Corban, or dedicated, belonged to God. That sounds very pious, you know, but it was actually a way for them to get around charitable giving and, and, and even, you know, providing for their parents. Even though it's commanded by God in His Word to honor your father and your mother, which includes supporting them if they have no other means of supporting themselves, these guys, they found a way around it. So Jesus is saying, you know, He says, hey, you're making the Word of God of no effect through your tradition. You've replaced what I have said to do with what you want to do. You're covering up obeying the truth of God's Word with blankets and blankets of tradition. Listen, when tradition takes a place of truth, what happens? We make the Word of God of no effect. The Word of God has no effect on your life any longer, no power, no authority in your life. Again, when we regard tradition higher than the Word of God, it makes the Word of God null and void in our lives. And you can get away with anything. That's why Jesus calls them out on it. Look at verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. That, that word hypocrite we know means, from the Greek, it's, it's to be an actor. That you're fake. You've got a mask on. You're pretending to be someone that you're not. He's basically saying, you dedicate this money as a gift to God. You think that somehow that's good enough and it appeases your responsibility to your parents. But it really does not. And you're not honoring the Lord with us. He goes on, hypocrites, verse 7. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrine. Thinking as truth. Or this is the truth and the commandments of men. Jesus says, here's the problem. People, they think they draw near to me with all their traditions and all their songs, with their lips, with their words, but their hearts, they're not even close to, to mine. See, the issue is still the heart. Over and over and over again throughout Scripture we read, it's our heart. It's, is it right with the Lord? Romans 10.10, 10, for with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace, where? In your hearts to the Lord. Matthew 22:37. Jesus said to me, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The issue is the heart. But here's the problem. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17:9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. 
What's in the solution? David tells us, Psalm 119.11, Your word have I hidden where? In my heart that I might not sin against you. How is the heart cleansed? By the word of God. No, there is no other higher authority than the word of God. Not man-made rules or traditions. It's God's word that has a final authority. So know this. If someone criticizes you uh, for something you're doing or not doing in the name of religion, say to them, well, show me in the word. Show me where it says I should or should not do that. So unless you can show me in this word, I don't care what your traditions have been previously or what the culture dictates presently. I am free in Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, their hearts are gone, they're hard, they're far from me. Then in verse 10, the scribes and the Pharisees leave. And Jesus says, in verse 10, when he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Think about that for a second. Think about all the time and the energy that we spend in, in putting on what goes into our body and what we consume. When, where are we going to eat as soon as service is over? What restaurant are we going to go to? I wonder if there's any snacks in the back and, and by the stairs. I, there's got to be. I wonder if anyone will notice if I get up on Google get a snack right now. I don't know. I wonder if Pastor Tom will notice if I pull the sandwich out of my purse and just start eating it. You know? Concerned about what we put in the body. Jesus is saying that's not so much the problem. The problem is what comes out of your life. It's what's pouring out of your life that's defiling you. And let me say, there's a lot of stuff pouring out of people, awful stuff pouring out of people's hearts today that are just sickening. It seems today, now more than ever, we've come up with our own set of standards, our own uh, understanding of what morality is. No longer are we based on the Ten Commandments, even though it made up the laws of our land, but now it's based on whatever is accepted as being politically correct. We've come up with our own accepted politically correct rules of life and way of living. And if you believe the liberal media as they focus in on one small group of people that think, well, you can change whatever gender you are, whatever you want it to be, and the media makes it seem like there's this, this major voice throughout our country that, that's pushing this and improving it, Proving it, then unfortunately what has happened is we've become deceived and instead of disagreeing with it and saying it's wrong, we become passive. We're saying, well, no, it's no big deal. I don't want to make any waves. Everybody seems to be agreeing with that. It is a big deal. In the same way, if you believe the liberal media, as they focus in on that one small group of people, again, thinking homosexuality, it's okay. They make you think that most of the country agrees with that. Then, then people that would normally speak out and say, no, this is sin... They remain silent as to not rock the boat, not to say anything that might be offensive. No big deal. It is a big deal. Listen, the big deal is this. Beside it being sin, the problem is we've lowered our standards to the standards of the status quo, to the standard of the politically correctiveness. And then we've accepted the rules of life, the traditions of men, and they become not only the things that we follow, but what we believe in. And that we put our trust in instead of God's word and the God of his word. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 15. He says, says in verse 10, rather Matthew 15, in verse 10, he says, hear and understand. In other words, listen up, pay attention to what's going on all around us. I mean, the traditions and things that we see and read about over and over again in our society have convinced people, hey, that divorce is okay. The sanctity of marriage is really of no effect. Even though the word of God says, no, divorce is not okay. Living outside of, of marriage is not okay. Sadly, I think the reason is, is you know, so many people, is, the divorce rate is not as high as it, it used to be is because so many people are just living together. 
You know, why get married? We'll just live together. It's not a big deal. Why is it not a big deal? Because our society and our culture says it's not. Well, we'll go and get ahead and get divorced. It's no big deal. Why is it not a big deal? Because our society says it's not. But here's the problem. So many times we have settled for second best because we've given into the tradition of man instead of relying on the power of God and the word of God. Same power that created this entire universe that we all enjoy dwells inside you and me as Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ. And believe me, that power has, has the power to keep your marriage together if you let it. The power that says, no, we're not going to live together before we get married. We want to do what's right according to God's word instead of what society is telling us is right. Listen, if people would just spend time in God's word instead of following man's tradition, there would be hope. But hope is not found in man. It's found in Jesus Christ and in the truth of God's word. But the traditions of man have replaced the truth of God. Listen, many of you know that the religion that I grew up in is so steeped in tradition that sadly, many, I would say, probably millions of people were deceived into thinking that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ because they follow these traditions their whole life. Now, that is none other than the Roman Catholic Church. And growing up in Roman Catholic Church, you know, we can't do a study on, on traditions of man versus the truth of God's word without touching a little bit about what they teach on. I mean, if we're going to do a study that some might say is politically incorrect, offensive, then we might as well go all the way, right? Okay. One of, one of the great differences between Protestant and Catholic doctrine is this area of tradition. The Catholic Church teaches sacred tradition and sacred scripture make up a single sacred deposit of the Word of God. In other words, the Roman Catholic Church says the traditions of the Church and the authority of the Pope are an equal level with the Word of God. And if what they say is contrary to the Word of God, that's okay because they have the authority to change it. Now, growing up Catholic, and to this day I do believe that they've not changed their position on this, but I was taught that the reason that we are told to pray to Mary, to offer prayers to Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, is because Jesus always granted the request of his mother. So if we really wanted to make sure that our prayer was going to be answered, then we would go to Mary first. As a kid growing up, we'd go to the beach and the parking lots were always packed and my, we'd always pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, help us find a parking space. You know, and that's what we'd do. But sadly, the Roman Catholic Church has gone even further and now proposed that Mary is a co-redeemer with Jesus Christ, which is total heresy in and of itself. But I was taught to go to pray to Mary because Jesus always grants the request of his mother. But if you go back to Matthew chapter 12, not too many weeks ago, we looked at verses 47 through 50, and that wasn't the case. There it says they came to Jesus and they said, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered them and he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hands toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, how can you say that Jesus always answers the petitions of his mother when we see when Jesus is acting in the capacity of the Savior of the world? He never did. I've said this many times before. You put a man on a deserted island with just his Bible, he would never come up with some of the most outlandish traditions that we see that are out there today. Let's do one more while we're on the subject. Then there's the rosary, okay? You know the set of prayer beads that Catholics are told if they pray, you know, once a day or once a month, they get into heaven without spending time in the purgatory. You know that the, that the rosary is not a, a, a Catholic invention? 
It was and it is essentially a tallying device known in Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam, and it has its same function, you know, in Catholicism. It's been fascinating to discover that prayer beads are used in some fashion almost every major religion in the world. The Muslims are sure they gave it the tradition to the Christians, and the Christians, you know, say, well, they gave it to the Muslims. You know, that's how it happened. The original name for it was a, uh, this tally device was called a paternoster or patter, and, and the paternoster is older than the physical rosary, but, but coexisted at the same time during the 16th and the 17th centuries. It was in the 16th century that the, the name became a rosary. In fact, they had professional paternoster makers specializing in the manufacture of these paternosters and rosaries. Now, on this rosary, there's 58 beads in each one, and, and they have a dual-faced medal of Mary and a crucifix upon it. Plus, at the, at the end of the series of 10 beads, it's called a, it's a, 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 the, the glory to be. That's repeated holding the, the chain between the beads. So they have uh, 65 prayers altogether. Of those 65 prayers, 54 of them are dedicated to Mary. They got little smaller beads. And then for every ter- 10 prayers to Mary, there is one Our Father, and that's a bigger bead that we call the Lord's Prayer. Plain and simple, the rosary is an open and graphic worship of Mary. Now that's a stark contrast to what Jesus said back, back in Matthew 6, verse 7. You know, he said, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Let's move away from Roman Catholicism for, for a minute and let's look at Protestants and the big push that we see happening today, the ordaining of homosexual ministers. Maybe you heard in the beginning of this month that the, the United Methodist Church made history when it voted against a plan that would have paved the way for gay marriage and clergy. At the general conference up in St. Louis, Missouri, Methodist delegates from around the world defeated the one church plan, 438 to 384. Not a very big, big gap, but good for them. They choosing instead the traditional plan. Delegates also signaled their support for sanctioning clergy who disobey the same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy prohibitions. But here's the problem: while half of the Methodist members are Americans, most of the rest live in Africa, where it was the African delegates who brought the overwhelming support for the traditional plan. And now the Methodists are facing repercussions from the American churches because of their stand against it. I tell you this, it's sadly, there's, there's way more Christian church denominations that have accepted and embraced homosexual marriage and clergy than those who don't, and now they've become just a part of their tradition. And it's these types of, of, of commandments of men that have a way of seeping into the church and diluting the power of God and what God wants to accomplish in our lives. That's why we have to get right back to the Word of God. Again, show me in the Word of God. I don't care what traditions might have been previously or what our culture dictates presently or what you vote on. Show me in the word that it's of God. Listen, that is going to offend people if you say that. People are going to be offended. And that brings us to our next point, the disciples with the dilemma. Look at verse 12. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So they have a dilemma. The disciples, Jesus said all he had to say about the traditions of men. The disciples realized that he just may have really offended the scribes and the Pharisees. Got him angry. So they come to Jesus. Jesus, man, you might have offended them. You came against their traditions. Lord, you offended them. And Jesus says, oh no, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend them. Let's call them back here and love on them and hug on them and we'll sing Kumbaya together and make sure that no one's being offended and we can be inclusive and tolerant of everybody. 
That's not what Jesus does. What does he do when he says he's told he's offended them? Verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Jesus, that's not very inclusive. <laughs> Reminds me of the two airline pilots who entered the cockpit wearing dark glasses guided by a seeing eye dog. One pilot used a cane to tap his way in. The passengers laughed, sensing it was a joke. As the plane started its takeoff, a few of the passengers got nervous. The plane was heading straight for the water at the end of the runway. Just before it plowed into the lake, panicked screams filled the cabin. At that moment, the plane lifted off. The passengers relaxed. But in the cockpit, one of the blind pilots said to the other, You know, one day they'll scream too late and we're all going to die. Jesus says, listen, these leaders, they're making you follow man-made traditions. These leaders that were so offended, they're blind. They're blind to what God wants to do in their lives, and they're blind to what's best for them. God wants to have this relationship with them, not based on traditions and religions, but on love. And Jesus says here, every plant which my Heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. The issue is not the washing of the hands, it's the washing of our heart through the Word. No matter how holy you look on the outside, if you haven't let God do that work on the inside, then you're going to be uprooted no matter what traditions you hold on to. No matter how holy you look, it makes no difference. Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I love Peter here. Jesus has been explaining himself. He's been telling what the parable means, what the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to do. And Peter, in verse 15, we read, Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Don't you love Peter? I think he's still thinking about food. Okay, you're talking about this eating stuff. What goes into a man? Can we like go over that just one more time? But I'm so glad he asked this question. I wish the disciples would have asked more questions like these because sometimes I don't always get things and Jesus has to explain them over to me again. But here the Lord explains to Peter in verse 17. He says, Do you not yet understand? that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. How's that for your Sunday night lineup on TV? Right there, every show, every movie that's out there today. All described in that one verse. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Let's go over that list briefly. Evil thoughts. This is the root of of all that follows. It starts in the mind and then it moves to actions. Murders. It's the taking of another's life. By the way, you're guilty of murder if you've hated in your heart towards another person, Jesus said. Adulteries. That's illicit sexual activity by married persons. Fornications. The word translates the Greek word pornea and it refers to any illicit sexual activity. See, the the origin of sexual sin is not in the body. It's the result of a defiled heart. Thefts, taking that which belongs to another for your own use. This covers a lot of territory. Uh, False witness. This word refers to the cunning maneuvers designed to ensnare someone for one's personal advantage. It's the idea of someone trying to work undercover to bring someone else down. Blasphemies, injurious or defaming speech directed to either God or man. Gossip uh, falls into that category. I mean, here's the problem. Slapping a religious patch on a defiled heart will not make things right. 
If you claim to be a Christian and there's no change in your heart, if these lists of sins are still central and evident in your life, that no amount of going to church, no amount of singing songs, no amount of saying, oh, I love Jesus, is going to make you a Christian. Your heart has got to change. The religious Jews did everything by the book, but they were still responsible for sending Jesus to the cross. Outwardly, they were clean. Inwardly, they were defiled. So, too, we are living in a time of this new morality. And I've reached a day that Isaiah spoke about when he said in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. For those of us who believe the Bible literally are considered radical right-wing fundamentalists and entirely off, our, entirely off our rocker. Listen, right and wrong has not changed. God's word does not change. But people today try to redefine everything we know from God's word that is right into in order to rationalize their sin. God still calls it sin. Sin is sin. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, false witness, blasphemy, theft. This is sin. And Jesus says, those are the things that are killing us. Those are the things that are defiling us. Verse 20, he says, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Forget about the condition of your hands, Jesus says. It's the condition of your heart that God is looking at. And if the heart is wicked and unregenerated, then no amount of religious tradition is going to change that. Again, you must be born again. Folks, it's always a matter of the heart. I've said this before. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at our hearts. And if God really doesn't have your heart today or our hearts together as a church, then he doesn't have us at all. And if he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't have you. And if you're just coming in here, then all you're doing is just going through the motions. I challenge you today out of a deep love and concern, don't just be going through the motions. Now is not the time in history for us to simply be going through the motions. Listen, it's a time under which we're living that in the days according to Scripture that the return of the Lord would take place. And these are it. We are in them. I firmly believe that we are living in the last days. These are the days and the times the signs that Jesus would say those last days would be as it was in the days of Noah. How was it in the days of Noah? Well, in the days of Noah, there were the majority of the people were out there mocking the church, ridiculing Noah, his family. Noah's family was just, just pounding away in their backyard doing what God has called them to do, and they're mocking them. But Noah says, hey, how else am I going to live? This is what we are called to do. If no one else is going to do it, fine. We will be the only ones on the block. And I say the same thing for each one of us today. You may be the only cubicle at work that loves God. But you keep on building your relationship with Him. Do what God has called you to do. I'm going to stand up for what God's Word has said and not back down no matter what everyone else is saying or doing because I know what His Word has called me to do. And that's how He's called me to live. And when God says, get on board, I am I'm going to get on board. I'm going to be on time because he's the one that's going to shut the door. He's the one that's going to take me out of here. God said to Noah, no, I'm only concerned with one family on this planet. One family on planet Earth that has found grace in, in the eyes of the Lord. It's yours, Noah. So you get on board. You make sure that everyone's on board because that door's going to shut. And when it's shut, the rain's going to come down like it's never rained before. And judgment is going to hit this earth. And your family that's found grace in my eyes, they're going to be safe from the storm, safe from the judgment. And I tell you, the Lord says it's going to happen again, not by rain, but by fire. And there's only one family, one family on the planet that God is interested in saving, and it's His family, the family of God. 
The true church, the bride of Christ, isn't going to go through the motions, but they're truly going to be on board. So if that trumpet sounds today, and if that door would be shut, no problem, because you know that you're in. You have that right relationship with Jesus. He's got your heart. Forget all the mockers that are out there. Forget the media. Forget the phonies that are just going through, living the way they're living, because, uh, because you're in. You're in. Finally, we read in verse 21, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Folks, I don't want you to miss this. The Lord here leaves the land of Israel for the first time in his public ministry. Remember, he sent his disciples out. He told them to go into the cities of Israel, but not beyond her boundaries. Then the Lord was rejected by Israel, and, and there arose conflicts. The breaking point between Jesus and the religious rulers came only a few verses ago. Now what happens? Jesus himself steps over the boundaries of Israel and lays down another great principle. He now will receive the Gentiles, the non-Jews. will start coming to faith in him, and we'll see that next week. But Jesus' invitation was clear back in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, it's a matter of your heart coming to Jesus. Don't we just open God's word, and God's word does a work on our hearts. He's able to cut through all the systems and, and habits and routines and traditions and get right to the heart of the matter. And maybe this morning there are some of you here that have felt as if you have been cut through with this message. Maybe you've been basing your life and building upon just religion and the traditions of men and God is saying to you, I want your heart. I don't want part of you. I want your whole life. You need to come to Jesus this morning and believe that he, believe that he can forgive you for sins and give you new life in him now and eternity in heaven with him. I want to close with this story. Years ago, Billy Graham told of a story of some would-be thieves who attempted to rob their little bank in their small town that he lived in, in North Carolina. And they went in and they robbed the bank and took all the money that they stuck in the bag. And they get in their getaway car and they, they start looking in the bag and seeing the cash they got from this little town. But they got caught. Because in that, because in that bag with all that money was one of those canisters of dye and this, this dye canister that exploded uh, all in this greedy crooks leaving this this the little town in North Carolina, I mean, just, just, you know, had all this stuff all over their hands. Exploded all over them. A couple of miles down the road, they were able to catch these guys because you're unable to wash this stuff off. I mean, the stuff was permanent. So they caught these guys and they hauled them off to prison. And Billy Graham says, you know, there's dye on all of our hands. There's a stain that sin has left that we can't get off. And I agree with that. No amount of religion, no amount of tradition can remove it. We can't get rid of it until we invite Jesus to get rid of it for us. Because he washes us clean and he forgives us of of all our sins. That's why he came. He came to die on the cross for us and rise from the dead. So if we put our faith and trust in him, he'll forgive us of all our sins. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, don't wait any longer. God sees your heart. He knows where you're at. Surrender your life to him today. And you'll be ready to go when the time comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord, and how powerful it is, Lord, to do that work in our life, to show us where each one of us are in our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray right now for each person here, Lord, that, there's, that, uh, Lord, that we would not be going through just the, the motions and the traditions, Lord, but we would have a true relationship with you, Lord God that we would know what it means to truly be born again, to have our hearts right with you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning that you recognize you've just been going through the 
through the traditions and, and just the, the religion. And, 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 but you really don't have a relationship with Him. But you want to have a relationship with Him right now. You want to be born again this morning. You want to know your sin is forgiven. If Jesus were to come back, He would take you with Him. If that's your desire, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord saying, I want to have a real relationship with you, Jesus. I want my sin forgiven. I want to be born again. I want to be right with you. Anybody at all, if you've not done that, just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? God loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. That's why he came. Send his son to die on the cross to forgive you of every sin, the stain of sin. Remove that guilt and make you right with him. Anybody else right now, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, just raise your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? God loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose. I'm telling you that, but it's true. Just raise your hand while I can see it. For those of you that raised your hand, or even if you didn't raise your hand, but you... You really want to give your life to the Lord and, and receive the forgiveness of sin. Just, re, just repeat this prayer after me. And just as a prayer of committing your life to Jesus Christ and, and being sorry for your sin. Just repeat after me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. And I repent of it. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for every sin I've ever committed. Jesus, come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I'm now going to heaven, that I'm now a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's welcome in these couple ladies that gave their life to the Lord this morning. As soon as service is over, come on up and, and talk to my daughter will be here and, and, and I'll be here uh, and, and my wife. And, and we want to give you gals a Bible, help and pray with you and help you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Don't, don't head out. We want to help you along in your walk with the Lord. God has got so many great things for you, I promise. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.